It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And her brother, Adam. Hey. He's here today to shed some nerdery light on our ramblings about the fourth episode of HBO's Westworld. This one is called Dissonance Theory. Adam, you have any ideas on what this title might mean? I think it probably goes to the cognitive dissonance theory. And uh, I'm actually just going to read the definition here. I'm not pretending I know it off the top of my head. Solid approach. (laughs) Um, It says cognitive dissonance. It's from Leon Fetzger. Uh, According to cognitive dissonance theory, there is a tendency for individuals to seek consistency among their cognitions, i.e. beliefs or opinions. When there is an inconsistency between attitudes or behaviors, dissonance, something must change to eliminate this dissonance. Man, that could be the name of this whole freaking show. It could be called Westworld colon dissonance theory. Like it's not just this episode at all. I feel like that's what this entire show is about. I felt like this episode, I feel like it didn't really stand on its own as much as probably set things into position for later. Completely agree. And I think that name is also like that. It felt like the type of episode that you watch when you're binging and you totally are like, I'm going to catch a shower and you like kind of watch it with your head like out and you're like washing your hair and you like jump back out and you just keep binge watching. Like there was good stuff in it and a lot of good information, but it didn't feel like no, it felt like a standalone they were, beginning, middle, yeah, end episode. Felt like a way to deliver some exposition and maybe position characters geographically where they needed to be for later. If you had to say what was number four about, I, I couldn't say. Well, that's the one where you're it right. Didn't it really would, have we would that. say that's the one where the snake lady was given a backstory, or that's the one where William has a moment where he might change paths. Like so, it it is moments in our characters' lives here, but it it there's no beginning, middle end so i don't feel like it could stand on its own yeah i wouldn't say you want to know about this show please go watch number four anybody would come out being like i have no idea what that show is about no a needed episode yeah i mean these are the episodes that will really set up for for a long show agree and we already know that they have this planned out for five years so this is already well thought out bernie is still holding secret meetings with Dolores. I like the little detail of where he's having these meetings because even if we didn't know their secret, I think we could tell because the place where he's having them doesn't look like it gets used a lot. No, after after already seeing most of their workshops, you know, glass walls everywhere, everything see-through, top-of-the-line equipment. I mean, she's sitting on a metal chair, it's subway tiled walls. It's definitely very old school hospital feel. It does. It almost looks like a prison. It's like gray and dreary and the lights are low as opposed to that really surgical clinical feel of the rest of their area. And they are having the same kind of secret conversation they've been having, the checking in. Bernie seems to be trying to figure out if she is thinking for herself or not. The part that I liked that really came out of it was Dolores explaining her sadness about her loss of her family and Bernie asking, well, you know, I could just remove that for you. And she was completely taken aback and was like, why would I want you to do that? That's how I remember them. That's how I keep a part of them with me. And I feel like since we already have established that Bernie has a son that he's lost, that it struck really close to home for him. Like, yeah, you know, I should stop trying to forget him. 
I just need to understand that that the loss and the pain that I feel, that's what I have to remember him now. He seemed so taken aback and was like, what? What I think was interesting about that is every other episode so far, she has reset. And it appears that today she gets to wake up and remember what happened yesterday on purpose. You're right. She woke up at the campfire and not back in her bed. This mm -hmm. is the first time for that. When something breaks the rules in a science fiction show, I'm always wondering, is it a new rule, an expansion of an old rule, an intentionally broken rule, or is it just they're fleshing out a rule that I didn't fully know before? And I think that's what this is. Like if you're off your loop for some reason, you know, a newcomer has taken you and you're on an adventure with them, then I'm betting that you don't reset. Because that wouldn't make any sense if you woke up the next day and were like, where am I? You know? <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Certainly not fun for the guest. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. The guest is like, the fuck? <laughs> it would not be cool. Not be cool. And I liked how there was like sort of question mark later about like whether she was actually being the guide for William and Logan. It's sort of like they skipped the part where she just like burst out of the woods into their scene. Mm. They're just like, oh, is she escorting them? Maybe, maybe she's escorting them. Maybe she ran and exhausted fainted in their camp. <laughs> Either or, we don't know which one really. Bernie brings up with her the maze. Pretty interesting that someone on the other side of the Westworld equation, the HQ side, knows something about the maze. If this is something that Arnold came up with and Bernie just heard about Arnold last week, Ooh, then what's up with that? Huh. Made some sort of just legendary Easter egg in the code that some of them know about or is something going on with Bernie more than he's letting on? Very true. I mean, it definitely, there's a whole bunch of theories you could have on the maze, but, you know, it really does seem like it would be uh, that consciousness that Arnold was so so keen on finding for any of these, uh, you know, the robots or, or any of the hosts. Even just the picture of the maze where they, they have, you know, a simple maze around it, and then they have a stick figure drawing with the hands to the heavens. It really does seem like it's, you know, an, an enlightenment. Is reaching the center. Hey, do you think that when they show the drawings of the maze, does it kind of look like a scan of the brain? Yeah. Maybe yeah. kind of the shape of it looks. Kind of a geometric sure. version of it, but yeah. Yeah. It, it and if you look closely at the maze, too, a lot of people have commented that it seems to be like two turns and you're at the middle. <laughs> like, if you really study it, it's like, oh, that maze doesn't look that hard. There's only like one little one little loop-de-loop -loop and then you're there. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if the maze gets more complex. Since we know that they can go back in and fill in these backstories and introduce characters who suddenly have this huge, long backstory, it makes me wonder if the maze, as they draw it, will it change? Will it get more complex as more people get closer in on it? You know, like, so say we get a couple of people actually at the entrance of the maze. Because it's so simple when you look at it now, will suddenly a bunch more little choices kind of come popping out of the sides of the drawn maze? Is it something physical that exists right now? Because that would be much harder to, to modify quickly. I kind of assume it's not a physical maze, but more like a like a scavenger hunt, more mm. like that. So more like journey of the mind. Yes, like like much less like he's going to enter the hedges, a la Jack Nicholson, and have to get through the labyrinth, right? Much less like that, and much more like now you've got that nugget of information. Well, now and the way that they can kind of just inject people like Wyatt suddenly into it, it seems like. Maybe that unlocks doors, but then maybe that's also now another jag in the little maze. Well, it's interesting here. They dangles the idea of, of her freedom in front of Dolores, and that's how he entices her to start thinking about going through with finding the maze. Because again, the only other time we've heard maze is from Man in Black, who we definitely found out from this episode 
is not some long forgotten rogue robot is he is definitely a newcomer who exists outside of Westworld. Exactly. And he knows about the maze. You get the idea that he's like he's a master gamer at Westworld. And so, yeah, that makes sense that, that he would know that level. But here's Bernie telling a host to now pursue the maze. What do you guys think about the idea that he does dangle the concept of freedom? Because if you're going to talk about Seems freedom. Seems dangerous. Well, if you're going to talk about freedom, you have to have the opposing side. That implies that she's imprisoned. And here she is, this like, da-da-da-da-da, smiley farmer girl, right? And all of a sudden you're like, so hey, you recognize that you're totally imprisoned here. Like, seems like that would wreck her whole persona. I think she's already coming to grips with that. I mean, when she's sitting there talking with him, she's talking about finding new rooms within herself and waking up and, and coming out. And so it really seems like maybe that is the purpose of these conversations is to see you know, if she has an understanding and awareness within herself, but then also what is she going to do with that? You know, where is she going to go? How is she going to build from that? Do you think all of the hosts were supposed to be like this or it's because she's the original and she's had this really long journey? And of course, Bernie's been dabbling in the black arts here of like asking her questions, having her read literature. Do you think that's what's awakening her or do you think everybody's got something going on? Um, I, I definitely think that that has a large part of it. Um, just like any computer or anything like that, uh, the longer a system runs, the more quirky it gets, the more it kind of takes on its own persona. And I mean, these are a heightened version of that, a futuristic, but it's they're all still based on the same types of rules and laws. The fact that she is, and they made note of it in the, in the beginning there, that she is one of the oldest living, just like you said, in, in the park. She has lived and died and lived and died and looped and looped over and over again. And each time, I mean, as we find out later in the show with the shade and being put back together, that there is some remnants of each time. And so by building upon that, the little remnant pieces come together and can create Dolores or whoever individual it is. It's funny that you said that when you said like having a sort of quirks, because it actually makes me think of any machine. How many times do you guys know when you're like, oh, that's my mom's washing machine. You have to like kick it twice and push the button to the left. Machines actually gain quirks over time. And it's kind of a funny concept. We have it with our own computer equipment and stuff like, oh, that monitor doesn't like it if you do it like that. And it's <laughs> like, that's so silly to say, but that's how they work at their peak performance is if you do all these little extra mumbo jumbo things to them. Mm -hmm. Very similar. We have figured out that Bernie is running this little experiment on the DL. We kind of have a hunch that maybe this room is actually even right off the Sweetwater Main Street. She had run in the one episode when her father was sick to the doctor's door, and it doesn't actually open or anything. But we think that that storefront maybe on the other side of that is actually this room mm -hmm. of conversation because she can't be plucked out of the whole thing all exactly. the time. And it would make sense that this would be like completely unfinished inside because it was just a storefront. And she's always lingering around there. That's where she's always dropping her can of evaporated milk. <laughs> so she's always kind of around there. So who knows if that's where she's coming out of all the time. We never see where she comes from. When she's coming with her groceries or whatever, we never see. It's just suddenly she's walking down the street. It's like maybe she's coming out of that secret meeting on Sweetwater <laughs> Ave there. It would have to be part of her normal routine. I mean, the the frequency that he has these discussions with her, he would have to fit it into her normal loop. Agree. So who knows? Maybe he does have her in the storeroom 
after she buys her evaporated milk, or maybe there's an evaporated milk room she's got to go get into. So it's because of this DL status of what he's doing with Dolores that when he goes to meet Elsie, who's getting chewed on by Cullen, that he just kowtows completely. I like the way he said it, though. I liked how he's like, we all have a lot on our plate. If you want to take this over, go ahead. We've got a lot to do. I feel like I'm going to use that in my regular life now. If I feel like someone's stepping on my toes, I'm going to be like, you know what? I do have a lot on our plate. Why don't you take care of that, you? I like it. Bernard's got a way with the people. He seemed to say two things to Elsie. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, when they're new here, of thinking that these things are alive. But then he says... Orion's belt only has three stars, and what she's looking at has four stars. That would tell me, keep looking. See, and I I think I would take it like you're um, projecting your own ideas onto what this rock is. Like this host was just doodling, and because you see X amount of stuff on there, you're just making it into something. Oh, geez, I misunderstand everything people tell me. (laughs) Well, we can talk about that later, Paul. That is a personal problem. However, I would like to also say that I think this went back to that corporate culture stuff that we were talking about. Whenever any boss seems to start feeling a little pressure, they do this every time. We've seen it with Ford and Cullen, Bernie, everybody. Where they <laughs> you know the robots back. aren't alive. <laughs> yes, yes, where they snot back and they make you feel embarrassed. That's the main thing is that they make you feel embarrassed. They make you feel like you suddenly have to get away from them. And so then they're like, um, you know they're not real. And But Elsie called them out. He's like, she's like, don't patronize me. Come on. Because it is a snotty thing to say to somebody. Then he really turns it and gets biting. Is like, you're the one that's doing the imagining, not the host. Like, that was, that's harsh. That's a really mean, snotty thing to say. Well, especially since basically she had his back with Cullen before he came in. She doesn't know exactly what Bernie's doing, but I think she knows that he is doing something. And instead of saying, well, you know, Bernie's running his own experiment, didn't you know? <laughs> um, she didn't. I liked how it seemed like the writers were talking directly to us when they, she goes, it seems like everyone around here has an agenda but me. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. <laughs> it seemed a... like she could have looked right in the camera and been like, don't you think so? Right. <laughs> it was one of those lines written for the commercial almost. Exactly. Final scene with Bernster takes place in his boudoir. boudoir. We knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Sexy Bernie time. Where he gives just a few tips for Cullen on how to deal with Ford. It was very much a behavioral analysis. I I mean, and an accurate one at that. Covering a stomach, doing things like that, which she really appreciated. And I think it goes to show kind of their different mindsets, their different roles in this world, where, you know, she is the financial, the corporate, all of that, and he is the deep-thinking scientist, behavioralist. I like their yin and yang. I think that they are a good matchup because... He always softens up something that she is making a remark about. And then he'll come over and he'll like when she couldn't get her dress zipped up and she was just going to kind of keep being stern about it and keep kind of talking about blah, 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 this is what's going to have to happen. He comes over and just kind of like brushes her hair away and starts zipping it. And she instantly is like, burn, like completely like softens and listens to him. And I would like to say on a side note that Bernie looks pretty darn good. In his, really? in his underbrews. <laughs> yeah, dude. I was really surprised for being the scientist and behavioral dude. He did not have scrawny little legs or sad little booty. No, Bernie no. was bringing it. I think he hits the gym in between all these discussions. <laughs> Maybe that's where he says he is when he's chatting up Dolores. And he's got to do a bunch of squats before he heads back. So he's Keep packing it real. a surprise in that sweater vest, huh? <laughs> I, I feel he is. William had an exciting adventure this go-round. Yeah, he did. He and Logan 
are still on their bounty hunting trip from before. Now they've picked up Dolores. William seems very taken with her. And Logan is still a jackass. (laughs) I feel like William is just treating her as much as a human as he can. But the funny thing is that he's the only one that we've seen so far of anybody who continuously keeps telling her, like, I know you won't understand this, but I, I'm i not going to get hurt, but you could get hurt. Like, he's the only one constantly tipping their hand about the fact that we're all in a fake world, you see here, Dolores. Nobody else, we've not seen anybody talk that way to anyone. Not Teddy, not Maeve, nobody. Well, in that first episode, there was that one little kid that asked her if she was a robot or... Yeah, but that was a little kid, not a grown-ass man. I'm saying the rest of the grown-ass men are not saying stuff like that, you know? But but don't you think that is what makes him be treating her like a real person? Yes. Because he's telling her the truth about everything uh, instead of playing the game and, you know, just pretending, playing make-believe? A hundred percent, yes. Like when they wake up in the morning, he thinks that she's cold, so he gives her his coat. And he worries that she needs, like, coffee, like, right away, you know, sustenance and whatnot. Yeah. And, yeah, that's all very, very real to a human. He is just seems like that type of nurturing person anyway, honestly. Now, I think we're going to see a little evolution in him, but I think that he, right now, is just sort of like, I don't know, the vanilla office nurturing guy. And I think he's going to turn into the old Wild West protector. Do you think uh, when Logan brought up the idea of the controllers having just sent Dolores to them, do you think that put any doubt in William's mind about what she was doing there? For sure, because we know that earlier they had used Clementine to engage him because he had just been leaning against the wall and not participating in anything. And so then Clementine keeps looking over, making eye contact. And then, you know, the, the bandit comes over and is like, I'm going to take this girl if nobody's going to stop me. And it's like, they all paused and looked at William like, <laughs> are you sure everyone? And William's like, I will shoot you. You know? And it's like, Oh, you saved the day. It's like, yeah, they obviously had orchestrated that scene for him to be able to step into. So yeah, I do think that it is questionable whether you know, he feels like they did just kind of were like, cue the girl and have her come running out of the woods, or whether he has some sort of connection with her. While he's explaining that, he also brings up that the family that, that he is marrying into paid for this trip, and that they also are part owners, or at least shareholders, in the company that runs the park. But it doesn't sound like they are Delos. Is that how you say it? Delos? Delos? It just sounded more like they were, you know, minority partners that are looking to uh, have some influence in the business. Yeah, they absolutely seem to. I mean, for sure, he he cemented the idea that this was what we thought it was, which was like a bachelor party slash welcome to the family paid for trip by Logan, which is why he felt like he had to go along with things that he wasn't very comfortable with. He was trying not to be a stick in the mud, but be like a cool, you know, the cool new member of the family. I feel like we're going to learn a lot more about Logan's family and what he'd be marrying into. And I think we're going to find out, I think, some some really twisted information, I think, about them. I don't think that it's going to be straightforward. They're you don't just think stakeholders. it's like the Flanders? <laughs> I don't. Not not quite. Somehow I think maybe when it maybe it'll happen when the you know the, all this time everyone's like the board the board the board wants this the board wants that maybe you know Logan's 
parents or somebody's on the board, maybe there's going to be something there that one of them will get brought in on the scene. But it just feels like somebody's going to share a lot more weird information about Logan's fam. So they wind up down in Lawrence's town where HQ notices that Loris is well off the beaten path for her. And they go and send the creepiest looking sheriff's deputy to to go and get her and set her back in her in her, you know, normal stomping grounds. Why well, I call him creepy is because it looked like half of his face was sort of... Oh, yeah, he was a gnarled-looking dude. When he grabbed her, and when she grabbed him back, and she gave him this really intense look, I was kind of interested to see where that was going to go. Do you guys think that most guests, if they were in William's shoes, would they have stepped forward and been like, she's with me? Or would they have kind of, especially William and the way he's been acting, sort of been like, oh, I guess that this is the person coming to get her. I guess I'm supposed to let this happen. Or would you be like, no, 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 hands off, you. He didn't have to do that much, send the deputy on his way, so... All he did was ask. And I, and I think that's what Dolores is to him is, is he saw her drop the can of milk in the very beginning. It was the first thing that piqued his interest. Yes, you know, the other the other girl got him to shoot the guy and do all of that. But I think when when she finally came back in to his game or his fantasy or whatever you want to call it, it was the one he wanted to play from the beginning. And so he, he will stand up for it. He will say, no, no, you know, this this is what I want to do. And I'm paying you for it. And it kind of seems like it's what the prize would have to be to make him mm-hmm. actually fight for her. Like, it can't just be Clementine or whatever. It has to be somebody who has some depth to her. Because Dolores certainly has a lot more, even if it's scripted parts, she still has a lot more to say. She's literally the farm girl. It's so going back to what you were talking about with William, you know, talking straight <laughs> with Dolores. They have a chat over the campfire. He asks her, do you have paths or areas that you go in? Or he, he wants to know some nitty gritty robot stuff. I think he was wondering or worried that maybe it was going to be one of those things like it was going to be like an invisible fence. They were going to take her so far. And then it was like, oh, you can only go 10 miles from the farmhouse. You actually can't go any further than this. But again, I feel like I need like the right terminology for talking to the character, the host, out of the story. Meaning like, it's what we talked about at Disney. It's like if you whispered to Mickey Mouse, like how much do they pay you here? And what is it when you are not keeping in character and in this story and you just are continuously talking sort of around it? Like, as if we're not really here and you are just asking like, so do they like, do you have to drink oil or like, how do you work inside? You know, like instead of you have a pretty girl at a campfire and Logan would be happy to do whatever you want. He's not really all in. He's still looking at it from the outside. Yeah. Dolores has a good answer for all of this talk. She says, you know, I feel like I used to have a path and I used to know what was going to happen. But now I just feel like there's a place for me beyond all this. And again, I feel like even if they had scripted that, that's kind of the girl William would want to be with. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying, that reminded me of of just playing old games. There were, as games got more advanced, there were computer controlled characters, but they had a limited area. And if you did happen to take them out of their zone, then all of a sudden they were useless. Just like you were saying, they were like, I can't answer any of your questions or I can't <laughs> I can't perform any of these tasks or whatever they And I didn't even know these nerd games existed. So they set out for the big bounty hunt and uh, Logan his approach to the whole thing is a lot like a an a very experienced gamer like we discussed a couple episodes ago. He's clearly done this before. He knows what to expect and he when he says let's fuck these motherfuckers or whatever <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's very much what says, what a, what a 12-year-old would say. Slap leather, motherfucker. 
I'm yes. going to start saying that when I want to start a fight. <laughs> like, slap leather. You better have a firearm with you <laughs> when you do. Or I should run out of the room real <laughs> yes. fast. Yes. Awesome. No, he I did don't... amazing with that. Like, he was just drinking off the bar in the middle of the firing. Mm-hmm. See, I, I think it comes more so, you know, not not most... Not his confidence in his ability to shoot them, but merely his confidence in his their ability to not shoot him. Yes. It, it, it's just arrogance. He's yes. total invincible. It's, exactly. It's, it's playing the game on easy mode. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, what did you guys think of the actual shootout? It seemed like they got everybody. They were told there's a family inside. Like, we're going to be cool. Uh, and then they just sprayed the room <laughs> with bullets. Like, I don't know if there were women and children in there, except for the one that got yelled out about her cooking. There but... was some brief screaming. <laughs> <laughs> some there brief was. screaming. I, I don't know. I, I think one of the interesting things at the end of that whole scene um, was the, the quote-unquote upgrade. I, 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 didn't, I don't quite understand that. I'm interested to see how they explain it. I mean... If the hosts can't kill the guests with their guns, how how can the guest pick up a host gun and it be useful at all? I like Caroline that. has a theory about that. Caroline's theory about that is that the guns fire intelligent. Um, it's called simunitions. Ammunition. Simunitions mm. that won't kill people but will kill robots. It is an actual projectile because when William first got shot, he was you know bruised by it Mm -hmm. not not shot but bruised and so there is some type of projectile and you can see it bouncing off the walls so that's that's very interesting so we think that that the gun actually works properly but it's the simunitions that the hosts have apparently in that movie the guns work differently where they were heat sensing so if you put off heat it wouldn't shoot at you this is totally different this is like they have a different type of weapon where it's like the hosts only have access to these simunitions whereas i guess maybe in this case logan could put actual bullets in it now or maybe the simunitions it maybe it still works he could still use that gun and shoot hosts and it would still kill them because yeah. hosts can kill hosts so mm-hmm. cuz we've seen that happen before plenty so then i guess it's still okay but you're right i the only thing it made me think about was in the room where they could get dressed and choose their weapons. And they said, these things are all picked out for you. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's possible that there are different guns and stuff, like more expensive guns, and maybe possibly Slim here, since he's an outlaw, maybe he does take more expensive guns off of newcomers or something. Like maybe that's part of the well, it's, your consequences. In, in, in a lot of games, um, when you are new to the game, or you're just your guy is just starting out. Yeah, you get a chance to just like Logan did upgrade along the way. Kill the first guy with a bigger gun yes. and take it. And then you yeah, and then you that's how you wind up with the big gun at the end is that you've just managed to kill another guy holding it. A wink to to gamers, I think, was when he said upgrade and then took the other guy's gun. And we also knew that man in black has a freaking upgraded gun. I mean, his is amazing. The things he can do. He can blast yes. it like a cannon did through you, a did rock. Did you notice it last week? I did, yes. Holy mackerel. Yes, where he flips it down and there's a shotgun shell in there. And he went right <laughs> through the rock. Oh, yeah. I mean, holy oh, yeah. cow. So, yeah, obviously there's different ones, which, again, I feel like even in that moment might have drawn William in more because it started to make it where it wasn't just like you got your clothes on and you came in and sort of like whatever you did, you just sort of bumbled through. Right. Now it started to be like you were collecting stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like if you guys, you guys are both gamers, the first time you're playing with someone who's never played before, before they like get their first batch of coins person usually a girl who didn't want to play with you very much is suddenly like no i want to play again no no like let's keep going let's keep going because you start to get that adrenaline of like hey i'm i'm doing it i'm playing the game and they actually 
won that shootout. And so it was like, oh, yeah, let's keep doing it. Yes. There's nothing like rolling over your first corpse for loot. (laughs) (laughs) It is a a special moment. It is, right? In every boy's life, you can't wait for that. Rolling (laughs) over your corpse for loot. Nice. The gun thing is very interesting, and the reason I keyed into it so much was Dolores uncovering the gun on the farm and just whether or not that was at all going to be tied to Arnold, an actual death of a, of a human and, you know, guns that could hurt humans, guns that couldn't hurt humans, all of that. And so I'm, I'm hoping they, they actually will give us an answer. Thanks to that, and then now this episode with the maze, she definitely seems called to, oh, to yes. action here where a lot of the other characters are n- not exactly the same. I will say there have been some changes with some of the other hosts, but you're right. It's like some of them are being like Dolores being noticed and are being called or maybe like the stray of last week. Whereas other ones like Maeve and Mr. Abernathy seem to be figuring out stuff on their own. Like they're not on the called list, but they're already making these discoveries on their own. So there yeah. is sort of like two separate camps and, but they're both evolving. But one sort of with help and one without. Ugh. Maeve is is evolving on accident. Like they don't, they weren't really meaning for her to. I don't believe. Right. Well, Dolores whispered. Yeah. She right. whispered the the voice commands. Right. And so did someone help Dolores with that in a way that then pushed her to do Maeve? Meaning, like, was that all on the path? And then Maeve was supposed to move up. That could be. I, I mean, definitely. You, you know, she whispered it as soon as she had heard it herself. And so she was still in the days. She was still under its spell, quote unquote. And so I don't know if she was just the first person that she ran into, but I think she was definitely compelled to share. Why do you think she didn't say the phrase to Teddy when they were out on the range? He was saying, oh, someday I'll take you away from all this and we'll go have our life together down in, where was it? Uh, Escalante. Maybe they're going to go to Escalante. (laughs) And she was just like... Oh, you're always saying someday and it's never you're never saying like Tuesday or next week she had an opportunity there to like look in his eyes and be like mm, and like switch him on but she doesn't do it I don't think she's cognizant of it I mean to be honest I think it is it was something that you know was deep within her and like I said she was in that daze at the time when she told Maeve it, you know it was a com- it's a compulsion for her to say it but she's not doing it to say turn someone on like she would like to do and i think probably with teddy they they've run their loops so many times together uh, she is she is a frustrated old girlfriend now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I said. I said, oh, look at that. They made her a nag. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. It's not a lot of programming required. For <laughs> oh, damn. I'm outnumbered today, guys. So out on the trail, Logan goes apeshit and oh my God. shoots the bounty hunter. Why do you guys think that he just like opted to completely shoot him? So I he guess did. it went like Slim said, hey, you know, he's trying to like cut a deal. Hey, uh, my boss will pay you like twice as much alazo oh yeah will pay you double and then it was like oh really like shot the mm-hmm. what was that guy like a little deputy no, he, was just a, he was a bounty, he was hunter. The bounty hunter it's almost like he he just knows that that's how that character gets to reset is it once they're dead they'll get reset and you know no harm done is how he thinks of rationalizes you know, his moves. oh he, he certainly doesn't care about killing any of them <laughs> no but, dude how do you feel a... about logan's um knife to the hand move in the restaurant oh in the bar uh-huh. uh yes yeah no he, he has zero regard and probably you know getting off on it you know it's that same arrogance and all of that you know he he wants to hurt he wants to maim he wants to do whatever because he has to restrain himself in the real world yeah and you're totally right on getting off on it because right after that he's like and speaking of which let's go have sex with like 25 people mm-hmm. and i was like 
um, you just knifed someone. There's an old man wailing downstairs still. Like you can probably still hear him. It's so disgusting. Logan's a piece, man. So now he's going to use his extra special wiles on William and actually verbalize the phrase, come on, become a black hat. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was kind of surprising that he was like that blunt. Like he just didn't say like, come on, this will just be a little more crazy. Like the way that he actually called it out as like another character name. William just sort of tacitly agrees. He's like, he doesn't say no or shake his head or walk away. So it's more or less like he's going to go along with it. I think this is super dangerous with Dolores in tow. I think if she sees William just shoot a host out of cold blood she'll see red i don't know what'll happen after that but do you think she's protective of the other hosts every day now she's trying to understand what's going on around her so having william protect her and be the white hat guy makes a lot of sense that's something that you desperately need when you're trying to figure out your world but if he does call off and just shoot somebody you know defenselessly or whatever uh next week that'll probably will will throw her concept of reality out of whack could be dangerous you know for those around her now she's over her inability to squeeze the trigger so who knows if her magic gun can can do any more than just kill bad hosts on that magic gun front there have been a lot of people who have done a lot of research on that they claim that the gun that she killed the bandit in the barn with Mm -hmm. was not the gun that she dug up out of the ground that it was the one out of his holster like when as she's falling back, she grabs it out of his holster and then she her hand falls back in the hay and then it's like revealed uh, like she pulled it out because he goes to pull his and yeah. it's not there. Mm-hmm. Now, I in my full belief before someone had actually done like the specs on the gun that came <laughs> out of the ground, I fully was like, come on. She had to have hidden it in the barn. And so when she falls back, she just swipes it out of the hay. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought had happened and why the gun wasn't in the dresser. Exactly. When she went back. Well, this this is, she you know, she had like a blackout, you know, went and put it done something that's like what that. I, that's what we thought. But I mean, I'm just telling so far, the research says not the same gun. It wasn't mm-hmm. the same gun. Well, the researchers better come to grips with the idea that this may be a magic gun because that morning after she's done talking to Bernie and she wakes up back at the campsite, guess what's in her hand? A the gun. gun. That's true. Which, why does she even have a gun right. when she's like laying there? That's true. Right. Did she sleep all night with the gun and no one no one noticed? When or? she fell in William's arms when she came running over there, I didn't think she had a gun in hand. Maybe, Maybe she had it like in her, you know, prairie dresses are world renowned for having hidden pockets and crap. Oh, it's are like they? where you put your like rolling pin and like, you know, some lassos and whatnot. You guys wouldn't know this. It's Prairie Fashion 101. So let me just tell you, she may have hidden it on her somewhere. So Logan, egging him on, even says, hey, with your bullshit mission, you've led us right into this Easter egg. It's like an unadvertised mission, basically. Like, there's So no- is it El Lazo is the Easter egg? Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. the word. That's like secret word of the day. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like when you were playing Mario Brothers and you got to go up into the clouds. And all the coins were up there. It's the special zone. Right. So he was jazzed to find someone who'd be able to take him to the boss. Well, you know, he's led on that he's a he's a really, you know, experienced gamer and that, that really told us more that, that he even knew that the dark levels <laughs> existed. You know? It's like he knows the like the dark web. It's like he knows <laughs> what that actually is instead of just saying it as a joke like I do. I'd like to also note that Logan got extra disgusting there when he was like, hey, whatevs, you can have her or I'll have him, whatevs. And they were all kind of like, me, and he's like, don't knock it if you haven't tried it. Like, 
Hogan, you sass ass. Seriously, you're like corrupting the world, right? What you were saying earlier, Adam, about about him having to restrain himself in the real world. I still bet he's a jackass in the Oh, <laughs> in the undoubtedly. Real world. Uh, undoubtedly. That train ride, I mean, even just the comments about his own sister, I could never say anything <laughs> like that. Surely but... he wouldn't. <laughs> uh, no, you know, and I think that goes back to the discussion you guys were having before about this this family dynamic that we're going to come to learn. There's obviously, you know, one of the other comments that that he had made was about how um, this is family this is family business and how everything is business in this family. It was very Trump-esque, I felt. Oh, very, yes. Very yes. everything is business. <laughs> All right, we're going to flip over to Dolores, who w- wakes up in the questioning cubicle with Bernie. There's been no reset today, so she remembers the most recent bandit killing at her father's place. I liked how when he was like emotion, affectation, like lowered or whatever, and she was like, eh! Anyway, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> don't we all... What a useful I, tool. Right? I was going to say, don't we all kind of wish we had that? I'm not going to speak that as a mom. I'm going to speak that for the children. I'd be like, I'm going to need a little less emotion affectation right now, please. She had a lot of revelations there, and I felt like she was really asking a lot more questions from her point of view to Bernie. In this back and forth, we had seen it several times, but most of the time, Bernie does all the talking, and she just answers one line at a time. This time I felt like she actually talked quite a bit and asked and answered a lot, said a lot. And she was moving beyond her pre-scripted responses. Like last week he asked, did you make that up? Or why did you ask me about my family or my child? And she says... Ingratiating uh, scheme. Ingratiating scheme, yes. Mm -hmm. This week though, instead of just a scheme or something like that, she takes an idea and she says she adapts it from a scripted love dialogue or, or something to that effect about unexplored rooms and finding herself, basically. She's much more poetic. It is Mm -hmm. nice. Well, so do you guys think that she understands or has any concept of this maze? No. So when he brings it up, he's like, hey, wanted to play this game. What what do you think her point of view is on this? I think that she is grappling with the idea just of baseline sanity because I think when she says there's something wrong with this world and then she follows it up with something that's basically like, It's either the world or it's me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. if you were going crazy, that would be where you would need to start. Is the whole world crazy or is it just me? Definitely. (laughs) So we've already mentioned a little bit about Dolores's whereabouts in terms of getting up at camp. She has the gun in her hand. Later on, Stubbs notices that she's out of position and sends the deputy after her. This is in Lawrence's little Spanish-styled town where Dolores runs into the motherless and fatherless daughter that was left abandoned there at the city center. Did you guys notice, though, it's like when they first showed Dolores and she was kind of walking around the, the fountain well there, the child was not there. Oh, I didn't notice. And then she kind of like, then they kind of like zoom in on her hand, kind of touching the fountain area, and then it kind of pulls back and, oh, there's a child sitting on the ledge. I feel like this is one of those like boink, like dropped in, well, she and then feels magic gun. Yeah, if you will. because then she's just like drawing the maze, like she right feels there. Too weird to me. Like 
in the last episode when she basically got turned off you know how they can they like with the limit emotional affectation direction mm-hmm. and stuff like that it seems like whatever the man in black did with his scenario you know killing the mother and the cousins and all that stuff it seemed to turn her off so that now she was just going to answer his questions well and she went from talking See, like like oh papa no 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 she was like go to the snake did it like she just started talking very robotic so yeah I, I took that more more as opening the secret door or you know you you completed the the maze you you did the, the right yeah. thing just like in a yeah. game and then all of a sudden so here's your problem yeah. matter of fact but, but, when you guys go on those adventure games what do you guys call it when there's like a person who has to come out and give you like the next clue well, that's one of those non-player characters i was telling about or, or computer controlled characters yeah what are, don't they have like a name or something like when you're on those adventures and you have to go find like the guy in the swamp or the whatever and you see him and then he gives you like the scroll and you get like your next clue they don't it's not necessarily a name it's I mean, the guy in the swamp yeah. or I'm you know the totally troll under the bridge trademark or... a name so i'm gonna think on that so go ahead <laughs> scroll master trademark okay <laughs> But so, okay, so I feel like she just popped up, though. I honestly do. And I think that she was left in that mode Mm -hmm. that, because when she talks to um, Dolores, she doesn't have the, yeah, she doesn't say, you know, my mother was killed yesterday and my father was dragged away. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. No, not at all. With a noose around his neck. (laughs) Right. Not at all. They're like, where are you from? She's like, same as you. Don't you remember? Like, you're right. She's left almost in that, like, catatonic slash robot voice and she what she says doesn't do anything except trigger flashbacks in dolores she sees images of a church and that little girl and some other weird shit dad laying on the ground with all of the cleanup crew around around him and she's still breathing but she's laying down on the ground so it seemed like she had been shot or something too but she still had like a little bit of breath in her that was probably the time when she got shot in the abdomen and she had remember she had remembered that earlier and mm-hmm. had touched her own stomach. And so this time it seemed like she was seeing her dad. She was seeing all that stuff. And I felt like, I mean, we all knew the little girl was saying, don't you remember that we live in a world where cleanup crew dudes come and get your people? You know, like you don't know that. But also the fact that she was just drawing the, the maze on the ground absentmindedly. It seems like it's like one of those things. It is like an Easter egg where it's like until you know what you're seeing. You would just see a little girl scribbling around, and now we're all like, ooh, there's a maze on the ground. Yes. So she's like the key master or the gatekeeper. Scroll master. <laughs> Scroll master. Scroll master. Yeah, so she, yeah, the church, the maze, that all comes up in talking with the girl. And it was definitely a white church, and we know that Ford's new biz, we think, has some sort of black steeple, which Adam, in case you haven't listened to our other podcasts, <laughs> I did throw out that it could be an oil derrick and J.R. Ewing with his white hat from Dallas might come into play. I'm just letting you know, <laughs> okay. we've had some other listeners who are in on that and enjoy that. Well, in the so, past week, um, there has there has been a, a preposterously dangled story that says that the, the, the showrunners of Westworld and the showrunners of Game of Thrones have talked. The headline was crossover question mark and you know what they they were seen at lunch together at the hbo <laughs> building one day is this what generated well this because you guys idea? know game of thrones is coming to an end just as westworld is now beginning so mm-hmm. hey we don't know what ford's new storyline maybe it has dragons maybe there westeros world westeros <laughs> world it could absolutely happen you can never know Weirder things have happened. The Flintstones did meet the jetsons <laughs> hello had that even happened touche <laughs> 
So whether it's Westeros world or something else, Ward's got something up his sleeve. So what do y'all think he's up to over there? He's not concerned about anachronisms uh, with whatever he's doing. He's got his excavator out there. Yeah, he's got a very <laughs> large earth moving digger. Last week, when when Cullen said that he's diverted a number of hosts away from their narratives over to help him with his thing, it, he. There was He's a using ton. them as slave labor. That mm. was so strange, right? And like you notice, like why are they planting ferns out <laughs> on the plantation? I'm pretty sure that's agave. Oh, yes. a little agave. Mm -hmm. Make Very make nice. tequila. He's trying to give Sammy Hagar a run for his, his money. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So Cullen finally gets up her guts and heads out to see what old Ford is making. Nothing about their conversation explains what it is he's actually doing. It's just clear that it is big he he tells he tells her uh assure them that it is not a retrospective like like i'm not gonna rehash an old story that we've already played out here at the park this is gonna be brand new after listening to her story how she had been to the park with her parents when she was a child and she sat at that very table and then the very end of the whole scene is the excavator coming to tear down you know, the old staple hacienda of the park. I mean, he's definitely moving in a completely new direction and doesn't care. I mean, he says as much. And they bring up families just a handful of times in these first four episodes. And every time they come, they really make it an effort to talk about sort of having this G-rated experience for families. So the fact that this is clearly has been a G-rated place because she came here with her family. And you get the idea, the way that they show the excavator like tearing at the land. You know, it isn't mm. just done in a really like, oh, look, they're just moving dirt kindly from one part to the other. It's like That's ripping. <laughs> it, <laughs> is, it is to total destruction. Well, and all the peasant people are like running from mm. the fields. Like they're like hauling ass. But we have to talk about this Cullen Ford conversation in depth because I felt like this was mind games at their very, very best. The first thing that Cullen says when she says that, you know, she's there because she's interested in helping him protect his legacy. I think that was the worst opener you could probably ever use to someone that is not actually considering retirement, even though they are much older than you. Right. And that's clearly been a bone of contention around there because, you know, it's been brought up with Sizemore. He's like, when are we going to usher him out? Like, obviously, there's been whisperings in the break room. Like, mm. when's he going to leave already? And I'm sure he's fully aware of that. But I thought it was interesting that he used um, the phrase lost my way, where he was like, oh, what do you, do you think I've lost my way? Do you feel like that's what's happened? Because do you guys remember when he met the little boy out in sort of the desert and he says, what are you doing out here? And he goes, oh, I, my parents are here. I kind of, you know, lost my way kind of thing. And he uses the phrase lost my way. He does forward. The adult man does something about losing his way. Last week, the stray. Lost his way, right? Uh -huh. He got off path. He got Doesn't off path. he use it the the phrase when talking about Arnold as well? Absolutely, that he lost so, his way. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. So, and one would say that Dolores has lost her way, True. or right? is finding it. Oh, either way, we don't know. We cannot know, people. So, there's a lot of conversation now about Arnold and well, about and about Cullen, whether or not she likes it there. He seems to take it very personally that she doesn't like it there. I mean, he spells out in a very long-winded kind of way. You're basically saying, you don't like the place where I am God. 
Right. That means something mm-hmm. to me. That's true. He definitely seems offended. And I mean, he does it by flexing his muscle. Oh, right? undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. So I think that he stopped the robots with a thought or some Jedi type kind of kind of subtle hand motion at best. But I think it was a thought. I don't believe the camera was on him at the time when it happened, but you know, obviously he was the the reason they stopped. He did it as a show of force and power to Cullen. And, you know, and what nothing was going to stop that, hence the wine continuing to spill out on the table. He didn't care at all. He didn't stop time. He just stopped about 100 robots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he makes the comment later on about about Delos. And, uh, you know, it's a, a Greek island, and it was the center of mythology and religious belief for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It's where they built the Temple of Apollo. And uh, and it was, you know, one of one of the things said was that everyone would come from all over the the ancient empire to to bring their offerings. And so the people of Delos, you know, were, were going to be made rich from from their religion and from everyone. And so when he's talking about Cullen being the money man and how we've had many of you come before uh, and and Arnold was was wary of letting you in in the first place while in the same breath flexing his I am God muscles, uh, it, it's, it's a very interesting you know, piece that they're setting up here. Path, though, has been a little windy. And at first I thought he had one agenda, give religion to the robots. And then I thought, why would he care at that, at, you know, when he's saying that they, they're, they're not real, then what would be the point? So now I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at. In terms of thinking, do you think that I know that's he's up to just, something, but I can't tell what. But do you think that that they're not real line is just proven to be like the company line? Like in that it doesn't jive with what Ford's doing. It doesn't jive with what Bernie's doing. It doesn't like every single time mm. someone says it, it's mm. like they're just that's the company line. Like that's what you said. They're not real. They're not real. They're not real. And then they're like behind the scenes, like mooching them or like Elsie, right? She's mm-hmm. giving them kisses or the other guy's like, you know, draping something on them so that he doesn't look at his nude bod and everything. But at the same time, they are chanting, they're not real. They're mm-hmm. not real. Nobody get confused. Well, the, the Arnold saying violent delights, you know, and, and that's why they can't be real. That has to be the company line. You couldn't do these things for anything that you personified. And so, you know, uh, undoubtedly, they're going to say that. But, you know, b- back to, you know, your comments about religion and, and what Ford is going to introduce, you know, it, it almost seems like in a search for consciousness, in, in a search for, you know, bringing AI to the next step, that's been one of the integral things in the evolution of mankind, has, has been the notion of a higher power, the notion of something greater than themselves, and, and honestly, just belief in something. See, that's where I thought we were going, and and I was thinking of another great science fiction show, Battlestar Galactica, where it wasn't just, you enslaved us, so we're going to kick your ass kind of thing. There was also a, you are a polytheist, heathen society, and we are a monotheist society, and we're right and you're wrong. That was, that played second fiddle to the, we used to be your slaves kind of thing but there was all but there was a definite our god's better than your god kind of thing and but, you, Lord, but you didn't, that's just regular everyday life around this <laughs> this world but isn't you didn't it? get to see how that built up just when the show started that already that texture was already there right but that's just real life i mean that's just is it jesus or 
or Allah or Buddha or Jeebus. Who, who do we, who are we? Spaghetti monster. <laughs> Spaghetti monster. <laughs> Who's ever the most important person to you is the most important person and everyone else is wrong. So that will be interesting. Do you guys think he's setting it up that he's the highest power to the robots? Like, is is he, I know he's saying to Cullen, I, I am a god here and, you know, look, I can like blink my eyes in however way and and he, I like how he doesn't glance over to anybody. Hmm. Like he just knows they all froze, but he doesn't like peep over. Like, oh, are they are they being quiet over in the field? Oh, yep, they are. Like, no, he just knows that they are. But Maybe. so, do you? Is it gonna yeah. end up being like we all pray to Ford? I kind of think so because if you remember a couple episodes ago when the rattlesnake shows up and he's just like, "Get the fuck out of here!" and then the snake goes away. That's a very God Garden of Eden kind of oh yeah kind of thing, right? Absolutely. So you guys think it's gonna be. We all praise I think forward. indirectly. I, I don't think he's setting up to be robots god. I think he already feels he is their maker, though. And, you know, quite literally he is. And so I think he's going to give them religion, and he's going to dictate what that is and what those beliefs are. Do you guys think that Arnold is the the yin and yang of what Ford thinks he is? So whenever we've talked about so far, if he thinks he's god, and he has said in order to be close to godliness, you have to be acquainted with the devil. Does that make Arnold the devil? Have we not met the devil? Or is the devil something Ford else? Ford might be the devil. Remember the, the native folklore says that the shades come from hell. Right. Which is, mm -hmm. which is where Ford, you know, he has to take elevators to go to, <laughs> that go up. <laughs> oh, that's go, true. It's take elevators to go up. That's I think true. I would definitely agree with, with Ford on the, on the dark side here of things, you know, religion and any kind of con construct like that, very much, you know, a form of do's and don'ts kind of control. Whereas Arnold's whole quest for consciousness and release and freedom would be the lighter side of things. Like free will. Exactly. Right? Just basically giving everyone free will. I liked when Cullen asked on that note, how did things work out for Arnold? If Arnold's the lighter side and he's the one who's trying to give us all free will, how'd it work out for him? Oh, he went mad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, and everyone ran amok, like basically, right? Like there was like a whole sitch. Right. So, he went mad. We abandoned his work. <laughs> right. And it was a terrible idea and we couldn't do that at all. That, that ultimately... People like to be controlled, right? Whether they're robots or, or humans, that they would rather just have routines and just be told the do's and don'ts and just keep on their path, right? Most of us. <laughs> Not podcasters. Podcasters all are about free or will. Or podcast listeners. They're an independent bunch. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the point of the conversation when he, when he definitely flexes. That's when she remembers, wait a second, this is the chair I sat in when I was a kid. <laughs> this is the exact place I sat in. And he's like, yeah, we, we, we know everything about not only who comes here, but who works here. Did take, you take care of Bernard? Yeah. <laughs> did you totally like how that was like a complete peeping back? Like, I've been looking in your bedroom, P.S. That uh, felt like, oh, you know she had to feel terrible at that moment. But again, every conversation ends with that with him or with any like subordinate to boss situation. It's always like, no problem. Let me just pants you on the way out so you can leave feeling super embarrassed and awful. Well, the pantsing comment came when she said the board is going to send a representative. And he said, oh, they already have. You didn't know. And, I would have thought they would have told and you. I uh -oh. Then all of a sudden I'm thinking, is it the man in black? Is mm -hmm. it? 
William? Is it Logan? Probably not William. He's too young, but it could be Logan if he's mm-hmm. he's a member of an investing family's, you know, That board. makes good sense. I like that. And then the man in black we know is some kind of wealthy figure on the outside who, if if our guess is right, and he is, you know, someone that inherited Arnold's stake in the company, that could be a board seat. Who knows? That's true. I'm. Go- I would like to go with the idea that Logan is I the agree. rep he's talking about, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's fresh, and we know that the that the man in black's been around for like a long time, like peeping around, you know. And the fact that Logan and William just got here, it feels yeah. like that's right timing for that. And and Logan really, you know, seems like an old hand at the game. You know, hence his arrogance, his nonchalantness with everything. He's not really doing it so much for the excitement of playing by the rules or playing the game or anything like that. He, he's just kind of there to screw around, you know, well, like the Grand Theft Auto. When he finds out about the secret exactly. mission, because finally something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's kind of how you are in a game that, that you've played a million times. Mm-hmm. And the scene ends with uh, the host's slave army being dismissed and the gigantic earth mover making its way toward the hacienda with its jaws just chomping up the ground like the hacienda's next i totally felt like colin was like gonna be like whoa like take off grab her grab her goblet of over full wine like (laughs) flee the building right right but which is the perfect way to again don't come asking questions around here again, right? Like, I mean, he did it in every way possible to make it like visually, auditorily, emotionally, like, and don't let the door hit you on right. the ass. This on is the how much out. I don't want to talk to you. I'm going to destroy the building where we just talked. <laughs> we don't have that many buildings here. I know that wasn't even that wasn't even part of my narrative, but I'm just exactly. so pissed. I'm going to wreck the table you ate with your family because that's just let you know. And plus, I also think when someone is so big as Ford says please don't get in my way. (laughs) How does a man like that manage to say it that it sounds so much like a threat, (laughs) right? When you say, please don't get in my way, it sounds like my finger is actually on your esophagus right now and I just had to squeeze real quick. But it was like, horrifying like i was like i would run the frick out of there cullen seems like a pretty stern person the way she's able to turn off and on her do you think she's like of like german descent her accent is so interesting and even the way that she was sitting there she had like a very 40s like hairdo and i don't know way about her she seems like i don't know who she is as an actress but she seems like the kind of person that probably has a dialogue coach right off set that tells her how to say stuff with minimal accent. But if you get her and you need to talk to her for an extended period of time, I bet that European accent is just so dominating (laughs) that it's really hard to understand. But I really wonder if that is really also part of her character, that she does have that, that would be like a German type feel to her, you know? That's what I hear in her. That means hard ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, stern about the quality assurance part. She expected that she was going to march in there and say what's what. I think she was shocked to be put in her place there. And well, Ford does yeah. it with such well, style. Like, like it does charisma, man. He just doesn't just he just doesn't tell you to get out. He does a show for well, you. Earlier in that episode, we did get a peek on what the pecking order is. We know that Stubbs and Cullen are part of the QA, the quality assurance group. And we know that Elsie and Bernie are programmers and that Ford is the park director, but he is also a programmer. When Elsie was diagnosing the stray, Cullen came in and said, okay, you're done. We're taking it over. Bernie could have 
objected, but I don't think he could have overruled. I don't think so either. So we're getting an idea of what the pecking order is here. And since she talks with the board, you get the sense that that's a pretty much executive level type. The type money role. wins. Yeah. Whereas right. programmers obviously, you know, sweep the floors in their spare time. <laughs> the Man in Black found the Blood Arroyo, which if you remember was a ravine cut through uh, dry land by water. And he actually goes through cutting up a snake there for a minute to be like, hey, do you know where the maze starts? <laughs> no, I'm going to slice you up, rattlesnake. I, I totally thought, even though they've shown us that the snakes are robots also, I thought that this was, being that this is a Michael Crichton-derived show, I thought that this was a tiny Jurassic Park Easter egg in that, remember, the, the dinos from Jurassic Park were all male. Thus, they weren't laying eggs. Ah, good call. And here he says, and I can't find any snakes here that lay eggs. Ah, nice. So I know that they're robots, but I thought it was more of a, maybe they're I all like male or, or something. I yeah. like that. I feel like they were all female. but So do I. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were all female yeah. so that they'd be more docile. Exactly. And then that's when they say, but don't you know that in the animal kingdom, the female is usually the most aggressive? Oh. That's right, Paul. So watch out. <laughs> So, so it still makes sense though. We still can't find where there's like a hatchlings or like sure. nests or anything like that because that isn't going to work out. But that's, I mean, that's, I guess, a flaw as well. We're we're looking at this giant open natural world, you know, open desert, all of that. Everything is supposed to be robots and all that. But how do you keep the critters out? How do you keep <laughs> the rattlesnake from biting the guest? That's the question mark. So you mean real life? Yes, well, maybe an Arnold death. Here's a big question mark. We could be on the moon, Adam. We don't know where Westworld is. And we definitely know that it can't be open because they have to keep out anybody who could snag the host or they can't be able to get out of there because then this entire thing is going to be ruined. So that is one question mark. They said by the end of the season, there's a debate. It's a husband-wife team who, have, who are doing the show. And there's a debate on whether or not we will be able to tell where they actually are. One says, you should be able to tell where we are. One says, I don't think so. I don't think you'll be able to tell. Hmm. So it is a big question mark. But you're right. Like, how could something not slip in or out? Mm -hmm. I think that... Or grow and live on its own. I mean, they have trees. They have everything. You know, even in any kind of park or, or you know, the butterfly museum, totally enclosed, all of that. You know, new new insects, creatures all run around. And we've learned that too from Michael Crichton movies, right? You can't stop nature. Mother mm -hmm. nature's got her own path. A way. <laughs> what was that? Life finds a way. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Life does find a way. Lawrence asks Men in Black, like, what are we doing here? Why do you need to do this maze thing so badly? I like that he actually says, I know this whole world story, but I haven't read the last page. And I just, like, I have to know how it ends, basically. Hmm. Yeah. That was exciting. And so that was a good understanding of, like, what is his whole motivation? Okay, we were right. He's just an ultimate gamer slash storyteller wanting to know everything about how this world works. And he's played every single level and done all the adventures. And he just badly wants to know. And when he sees this girl down the lake, again, we always have to be like, HBO. Right. He stands for <laughs> boobs, right? Yep. He figures out it's a metaphorical snake. Or not exactly metaphorical. It's more like a... I don't know what's the right word when the it's not the snake and it's not in your mind, but it's a picture of figurative. Figurative, yes. Good job, Adam. Thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, a figurative snake. 
And that's good enough. Or at least that's enough to, to get the story moving. They are ambushed by Snake Girl's gang. My God, could they have been more flat-footed, Man in Black and Lawrence? <laughs> uh-huh. For Man in Black being such an awesome gamer, he's like just chit-chatting, maybe the boobs, well, like really confused he's playing him. on easy mode too. I mean, just because he's played all the adventures, I mean, he still is invulnerable to the bullets and all that. Mm-hmm. True, but still, but being snuck up on in any general way, he's startled. When they're all around him. He takes two of them out and they don't even return fire. That was so fire. funny. I like that though. Where she's like, we're all full up. And he's like, bam, bam. Uh-huh. It's like you got two spots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, man in black, you're such a sass master. So they go about the business of getting information right away. So they just glob into the group and we go into their campfire. The gang is playing coy, but they're looking to free Hector, the lead bandit from a few episodes ago. They're trying to reenact their loop where they come into town and shoot everybody up. But first, they got to get Hector. Man in Black wants the answers about behind the snake tattoo. And the only way Snake Girl will give him is if he helps. Or more like he cuts a deal. Exactly. And that entices her to, to help because she doesn't think it's possible for him to make it happen. One gun, one match, one idiot. Right. <laughs> That's the formula for a, a prison Successful break. heist. Prison break, right? Oh, my Lord. So what y'all think about this guest? We had talked about this several times about whether it was cool to walk up to Mickey Mouse and just start chatting him up like, where do you eat lunch? Do you r- drive your car here? Like, how do you get like whether you are allowed to break character and everything here so when this guest just comes walking back up to man in black what do you think adam was this cool that he started yakking about his foundation probably not i mean in in any kind of role-playing setting and and anything like that if you even though the the larping if you will i I think it's one of their cardinal rules that that you're there to play the game so play the game i 100 percent agree with that and i would really be captain like raised eyebrows play the game play (laughs) the game Well, and we gain this little bit of information that the foundation that Man in Black heads up literally saved this other guest's life and the sister's life. And Man in Black, I'm guessing in real life outside of Westworld, he must be somewhat of a minor celebrity if he has this foundation that's so, yeah, and that Mm -hmm. you would recognize him and everything. Saving people's lives. So, yeah. So part of that, having us just come back from Gilmore Girls Fest, if it's not the time to be addressing someone or asking someone a question, if they're just at dinner or if they're doing their own thing, you're not supposed to walk up and barge in their face and be like, I know you, blah, 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 take a picture with me. Like you're supposed to be cool about those types of things. So I get it 100% while Man in Black's like, I'm on my vacation, fuck face, shut up, move along. It's kind of awesome. So then does that make you guys think more, is this the son of Arnold? It Could it be the Arnold Foundation? Could it be some sort of mental health foundation that he has? Could it be something? What do we think? Where do you get this money? There's no reason that that just because Arnold died under mysterious circumstances in the park that he died poor. I'm going to go with the idea that this guy's associated with Arnold's inheritance or something. So do you think it's his son? I think so. I, can, I could tag on to that. I mean, the, the age difference between Man in Black and uh, Ford is a bit of a question for me. You know, I, Ed Harris, I, I don't quite know how, how different he is from, from Hopkins there. Um, but that would be a little bit of a question mark. But you would only need to be 20 years difference, you know. And, and so it's definitely doable for the storyline. Uh, again, this is set in the future, and people age and live much longer and, and do all of those things. And it's possible that Arnold was older than Hopkins. 
That's true too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. in the picture, if you guys remember, they did show both of them and, and you know, Arnold could have been older. There's a point in the prison breakout where the man in black has arranged for a couple of explosions. One, he's given a cigar to his jailer, who doesn't know that it's an exploding cigar. <laughs> and two, he somehow creates a bomb inside his jail cell lock. With his it, it, own it was cigar. his other cigar. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The one match he's brought, he's already used his idiot. His idiot's outside. <laughs> he's the diversion. <laughs> exactly. Because they all so have to go out there for firing squad. He's got his match. And when he uh, attempts to strike it, there's a message at HQ that a pyrotechnic effect has been requested. Pretty cool, right? I thought really cool. I, I did too. Oh, yes. I mean, the amount of control that that would take and the amount of what if, how do I how do I pick this whole scenario apart that that simple action takes care of is excellent. Well, and think about this, like, so it's a match and I guess you could go with the idea that it could be some sort of electronic match or something. There's something to that where it does send a message back. But again, going back to the nature finds a way, how do you keep people from just knocking two rocks together, creating fire, rubbing two sticks together, what whatnot? You know, I feel like I've watched enough Survivor to know it's very, very hard, but it's very doable. And so I wonder how they can possibly truly control what people are up to. I, I think it was the cigars. You know, obviously that's where the explosive was, not in the match, but I think the cigar was the trigger as well. Mm -hmm. I think the cigar is what sent out the call to to HQ there for the pyrotechnics. And, you know, I would love to go back and watch the very first scene with William there where he's in the room of choosing items Mm -hmm. to see if there was the cigar box there. Because it was a very unique cigar box, you know, fit the three of them. Seems like all of those items that we saw probably have calls into HQ or, or their limits and their extensions. I think you're 100% right. I think and every single Black one. signed up for the VIP tour because this oh, is the yeah. second time that Stubbs has needed to sign off on something that Man in Black is doing. And the second time that Stubbs was just said, yes, whatever. Yes. Did approved. You, did you see mm. in the last um, episode, Adam, I don't know if it was two episodes ago where they said, you know, we have a guy who's shooting up a awful lot of people in Lawrence's mm-hmm. town. And they're like, that gentleman gets whatever he wants. Oh, yes. Which, again, makes me just feel like he's got to be kin to Arnold. Or to the board or something. But I got to go with Arnold. Arnold's like Arnold's like that one section. And I feel really, really firm that there's more family stuff going on here. Whether it's a connection between Ford and somebody as family. Or how we've already had Bernie have to talk about his son. And we have just different people along the way where I really honestly think we're going to get more fathers and sons and brothers and that type of thing. Because it has that feel of... Um, a biblical story in that way. When they safely return Hector to his gang, Snake Girl pays up with a story that if you were the man in black and you've been playing this game for 30 years and you know, we know that Ford made up the Wyatt narrative last week. <laughs> so this is, I mean, I, I can assume that the whole time they've been introducing narratives and things like that or sure. the but, bonus content yeah but, but here the man in black has kind of told us that he considers himself just about done with this game like he's he's done it all mm-hmm. and first he admits that he's never run into snake girl before and he's like how is it that i've never run into you before well especially because it seemed you know his his all i need is one match and a gun He's broken Hector out of prison before. Mm-hmm. You know, he he knew exactly what he needed to do. He's played that level before. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's uh, I didn't catch that, but that sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly had no. I mean, there was no confusion on how to get through that part. 
You know, they never made him sit and think or ask anyone any questions. He's like, you do this, I do this, you do this, you know. And I actually kind of think it's funny that the that it's exploding cigars. Oh, yes. That's like a child's prank, right? <laughs> so it's almost like this like low-level joke that one would play on another. So it's it's funny. When the actual cigar blows up that host's face, Jeez. it's actually kind of funny and silly, right? Yes. <laughs> right. I'm sadistic like that. It, yes. Okay. So you are the man in black and you've never met this girl. Mm -hmm. And then she tells you about Wyatt. She's like tits out snake girl. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so now there's this whole new narrative that you have to do deal with the story is that you know wyatt and the freaks wearing the bones and the skins and all that broke into her her town and killed everybody and now she's hunting them all down which she must not be doing that great a job because it's a pretty elaborate snake yeah but teddy got stabbed by somebody last week right maybe uh -huh. those guys weren't involved in the mother killing i think it's a different chapter it's a different <laughs> chapter i do i do and i actually think that he you know he collects more people along the way so these are the individual segments on her snake represent the people actually in that town. And we find out, too, in a previous episode that hosts can retain revenge memories. So how the, how the one, Walter, yeah. only killed six out of the nine people there and let some people go. But those six had had narratives in the past that they had killed him. And so this is a situation to me where she knows which did which. And even if now they're a school teacher or now their new role is, you know, they're the baker in the town or something, she's still coming to kill you because way back when you were a bandit that killed her mom. Well, the question I'd have if I was Man in Black is, is this Wyatt narrative getting me closer to the maze or... Or is roadblock. It, yeah, or is it just a diversion? Did I get cock-blocked from the maze entrance again? <laughs> I I mean you could definitely see the the smile on his face or the smirk when she says Wyatt where where it is is understanding that this is yeah. this is the expanded content I've been looking for and so you know he definitely believes it's it's a step closer to the maze. I almost wondered if you know if you've been paying to paying attention to something for a a really long time like he has. Mm -hmm. You will catch things that noobs will not. Oh, yeah. And it made me wonder if Wyatt had come up before in another context that, mm. that rang a bell. You okay. Know? Or if the name means something or is an acronym or something. Something. Yeah, I looked it up. Um, what is Wyatt? I believe it means guide. Oh. oh. Yes. See, down here in Texas... It's just the name of another kindergartner. <laughs> right. Isn't it? He just sits next to right. Dallas. Just, and... It just means the kid that picks his notes. <laughs> oh, no. No, not Wyatt. Last thing we see with Man in Black is he's on the trail with Lawrence. He comes across a strung up Teddy. Oh, Jesus. So, okay, I'm so sad that in the last episode they didn't actually kill Teddy. They just kind of stripped him nude and scratched him up a whole bunch. Right. If, if the Chinese believe in the death of a thousand cuts or whatever i guess they gave him 999 and then put mm -hmm. him up to bake in the sun these are evil people why it's a bad dude y'all <laughs> and it looked like man in black was at least going to cut him down yeah he was like misery is all about you mr teddy and you're just going to come with us so yeah i think it's going to be a threesome now i think it's going to be lawrence man in black and ted super enjoyed that close-up of the player piano when they were showing the intricate little parts, the flapping yeah. and flapping. Did, did you find out what song that was? I didn't look to see what the song was. I just enjoyed how... I tried and, and I didn't find an answer. I liked how they were showing how each part played its part. And that like pushed the next mechanism to make the whole thing go. 
If you haven't listened to our very first podcast for Westworld, we go in depth about the entire opening sequence of the the title credits there. I love it. I think it is so amazing. And I feel like when they show us little parts of the player piano, Adam, if you don't know, we found out that the production company actually uses a real company to create that player piano music script and that's a real thing wow and then they actually play it through a real player piano wow like that. so that's they, really interesting they've gone far into trying to make this as authentic as possible well, not unlike you but Maeve is also entranced by the player piano at the beginning of the show <laughs> me and Maeve have a lot of qualities that are very similar you sometimes, if we were in a lineup, you'd be like, hey "Which now. one's Caroline's? Which one's Maeve? I can't tell." Totally, I'm like a my matchmaker. sister, the brothel owner. Dude, I'm like a matchmaker, just like a matchmaker. Now I've thrown you all off. You don't know what to say after my freaky Maeve comment. Did seem to trigger something in in Maeve, the the player piano or the music. That and the conversation that she had with Clementine about the well-endowed cowpoke from Abilene. She'd had this experience before, and that resonated with another time that she had had this exact same experience and that kind of caused that same deja vu feeling that Dolores had when she shot the guy in the last episode when you know she got shot in the stomach and then it replayed then she did it differently mm-hmm. that same kind of thing here where she was remembering something that happened and overlays what's happening in her own reality where she believes that she's seeing blood in Clementine's eye because she's seen it there before because of the perspective of laying on the floor and blah 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 um well you remember the scene right i absolutely do that's the blah 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 part you already (laughs) remember what happened i thought it was cool of how they utilize the sound to help us really get the distortion of what she was experiencing one of our children is deafblind and her hearing aid makes that horrible whistling sound when it's not in properly so basically when it's not a snug fit anymore when it doesn't fit the mold doesn't fit anymore literally Mm -hmm. that's when it makes those weird distortion sounds and so for me the way that it makes that strange sound of the conversation and it almost gives you that feeling of like you're about to faint too where you're like the whole world's spinning everything's Mm -hmm. just everywhere well there was definitely a mechanical feel to the sound where echoing down like a like a metal chamber you know, the ear canal of a robot, you know, and go in there. And then just the use of music to jog one's memory is, is a very human trait. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that we've all experienced. You you hear a song and all of a sudden you remember something that oh, happened years ago. Exactly. Exactly. Grandpa Paul. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call him. In the world of robots gaining consciousness and deciding how they feel about things rather than how they've been told to think about things. This sort of scenario where she's remembering some asshole just got up from a card table and just shot up the entire place just for a laugh. Those are the kind of memories that are going to make the robots turn on us. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Right. We we need to cool it on the shootouts, right? On the random bloodbaths. (laughs) That's all it was. She was, she and Clementine were killed that day just because that guy wanted to do it it's terrible and and in a way you know i asked both of you guys i've asked paul before but so adam would you enjoy going on an adventure like this where you could just shoot everybody the whole time and that's a little bit of a personal question yeah but that's <laughs> but that's what we're asking that's what it makes us I, think Are i we- you know i i think we've already had our um 21st century introduction to this you know and at least for me it's grand theft auto mm-hmm. shout out to rockstar there but uh, but they it was the first open world, and I've played others, Ultima Online, things like that. Not the same, you know. Where 
where it was a a world you can recognize and that you could be good or bad, you know, less good in Grand Theft Auto. Even the missions kind of had you doing some bad stuff. Right, it's but... called Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, <laughs> a misdemeanor in some states, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you play the game and sometimes you just go fuck shit up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have heard. I remember the first time when people were like, now you can shoot prostitutes. I can remember that that was, I mean, I don't know if that was a new... Well, you could always shoot them. Yeah. It's just a matter of whether or not you could have sex with them. <laughs> it was either just a car bouncing before... Or now, now there's a little more. Whoa. <laughs> you see some head bobbing. Whoa. <laughs> We've really made progress. <laughs> right. Hooray for technology. Oh, my God. Wow. So, okay. So you would totally go on this adventure. And it would be, I mean, I think it's an amazing, oh, yeah. like, bachelor party kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand families as much. It seemed like it was a stretch, well, especially at 40,000 ahead. You you could well, hopefully there's a bit of inflation in those numbers and so what what we're really talking about is a little more accessible to people. But um but you know, obviously the the quality control, you know, w- was keeping in line. They said, you know, during the end of this episode, they say a family's going a little bit off script or or cutting their scheduled trip short. Coming back to town, oh, it's a bloodbath. Hurry up, let's cut it out and clean everything up for them. And so, you know, those safeties were kind of put in place to keep it G-rated, like you were saying before. But it's an open world. Little kids can play Grand Theft if there's an adult <laughs> around. Hey, speaking of, guess what? I had this awful thing I just read today. I read that there is a sex mod in Minecraft. You know how much that oh, makes man. my stomach hurt? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we thought we could allow all our kids to just be on Minecraft. Of course, not over the internet or whatever. You know, that was all dangerous. But still, there's YouTube videos and all this now where you can see two Minecraft things. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sad about this. Do you have to build your own bed? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do have to build your own little world. Yeah. But freaky, right? Like the whole world. It's just a matter of time before everything gets corrupted, right? It's mm-hmm. the driving force behind all technology is Sex. how can we use it for porn? <laughs> it is. No, it is. VHS, internet. <laughs> oh, my God. That, right, all that, to distribute. That's why VHS took off and Betamax didn't. Correct. Right? They signed the right contract. Holy cow. I don't even know about this. You're, you're blowing me away here, kids. The memories that Maeve has dredged up also include something new, something disturbing, and something we can't figure out. It is... People in something that look like hazmat suits that we're calling the cleanup crew that are that come in and drag the the robots away to be repaired. Now, first thought is why do they wear hazmat suits? What is the point of this? Especially because it's not just like rubber gloves, like maybe they don't want to get dirty or whatever, but why do they why do they need to protect their faces in a way that it seems like they could breathe in something hazardous? Right. Anything that you could think of in terms of uh, needing to protect themselves because maybe there's something that happens once they're shot or something, all of those things would still be a danger to the guests. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So what is the deal? Anybody have any ideas why we have to wear a hazmat suit? Maybe when they come, I don't know, They, the, it, it engages some maintenance mode or something. Safety protocol yeah, of some kind. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Visual Maybe. recognition of the white suit, the red face. I mean, that just means, you know, you're in repair mode. Or Interesting. So this freaks her out. She runs home. 
And A, she has had this flashback that tells her that she might have been shot and they didn't bother to take out all of the bullets. And this is disturbing. So she goes home, checks herself out, and there's not even a scar. But there's a little drip of blood on her costume. Sloppy. Pantaloons. Yeah. Sloppy laundering. a little frill. That's so sad. Second thing she does after that is she draws what she sees as best she can. This isn't so freaky as when she pulls up the floorboard to hide it and she finds that she has done this dozens of times before, a la Memento, where she has no memory. By the look on her face, you can tell she has no memory of drawing all these other things, but they are drawn... pretty identically why do you guys think that she feels like she has to hide it in the floorboard from who well she portrays herself as someone who has it together you know and these drawings would suggest that you don't (laughs) she was very afraid and at the end of the whole thing when what she says to hector is i was afraid i was crazy or going crazy and so that that fear of being found out fear of of losing the status power, whatever you want to call it, just authoritativeness uh, over her house would definitely drive her to do it. I, I think it was interesting. It's the same hiding spot every time. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yes. Later in town, some natives are being driven through town and what we suspect might have been some government relocation program for I wonder, do you think it's because of Ford's new narrative? Do you think uh, he was out there sort of out on the range? Do you think they were being driven from their land there? Yeah, Mm. that makes a pretty good, that makes it, that makes a really good reason for doing that right then. It was very dramatic. It was, it was, they didn't, they weren't happy about where they were going. They don't call it the trail of laughter. (laughs) Trail no. of tears. That is true. And super sad when the little kiddo drops a little cry her doll. Baby native. <laughs> cry baby native drops her doll. <laughs> that was sad. But then when Maeve picks up the doll and realizes it's like a wooden sculpture of her drawing. Nightmare. Bah! Oh yeah. Someone just an onlooker tells her that that that, that is something from their religion and they won't tell you anything about it so that then gives me some question marks about their religion includes this brand new thing that that i just learned about today and religions are you know formed over a long period of time are are the natives a part of some different upkeep program i don't think so i think the reverie thing came out all at once but how did they how did it already become part of their religion in you know Two weeks. I think it probably was there beforehand, you know, and kind of one of the theories I have on what causes the robots to start going down this path or start hearing Arnold's voice more clearly or any of those things has to do with how many times they loop. If we want to talk about the most base narrative you can when talking about the Old West, it is native versus cowboy. And so those would have been the first narratives that they would have written. And it would have been the grand scale attacks. It would have been all of the things you can think of happening over and over again. Therefore, these natives would have been dying the most, would have been continually put down, repaired, brought back up. Okay, now let's do it all over again. And if those are the times when you can accidentally knock on one of those quirks we were talking about before for the machine and see what they come to call the shade and if they are programmed in a way that's supposed to be much more similar to real life you know spirituality spoken history tight-knit group would allow those stories to continue i agree i think if they're picking up with any of the culture at all of native americans then certainly being more in touch with their environment more in touch with their um, surroundings all the time 
feels like a really good fit. It feels like, okay, then they would, maybe they don't call it religion per se, but spirituality and like looking for things beyond themselves. If they have to survive in the world in the same way that Native Americans did, then they're out there hunting, they're out there scavenging. They're probably seeing more trace residual things that are out in Westworld that you could pick up on. Like they don't always clean up everything perfectly. We've seen that. So if you were someone who is more not going to the general store for your can of evaporated milk, but you're going through the woods every day and you're going through the prairie every day, you might find other trinkety things that were left behind from a cleanup. In the very first episode, they say the farther you go from town, you know, the more wild everything gets. The bigger the stories are, the harder the challenges. That makes good sense. So we see the blanket group. I don't know. we got to come up with a group for them. The <laughs> we, we don't know it's America. So yeah, Blankies. <laughs> they put their blankies over their heads right. and they head on in. The whoopee gang. <laughs> Whoobies. Oh, I want to call them the whoopee gang. So the whoops come into town and I don't really get it because, I mean, they, they, they take off their whoobies like pretty instantly. So I don't really know what the point of being, except I guess is that supposed to be super ominous? Like, ooh, we're coming into I, town. I think it's because they got all the way to the center of town before anyone knew who they were. Ah, okay. I liked how this was all set to classical music. The way it's acted and played out and the fact that Maeve knows what's going to happen. She pretty clearly has already memorized how this goes because she knows exactly when to pull her Derringer on Hector when he comes into the saloon. And Wait, I love Hector's line with the sheriff, though. That was so funny. The sheriff comes over and he's like, if you're going to come into this town with a bunch of you all all armed, then you have to state your business. And he's like, mayhem. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I would love to find a reason in my life to say it where someone's like, why are you here? Be like, mayhem, mostly. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> I should just make you a shirt with that on it. Yeah, I would love, dude. Like, you know, if someone's like, "Can I help you? What do you need?" Be like, just mayhem. Just that's it. That's what I'm going for. So Maeve puts that gun to Hector's head, and their story starts. Yeah, it goes down a weird path. They're together. Like Hector just rolls with it. This woman pulls a gun on him. She says, "You know, I'll trade you access to the safe." For information. Meanwhile, back at HQ, like Adam mentioned earlier, they find out that a family. Is, or a couple families have changed their itinerary and they're coming back to Sweetwater. So the shootout needs to end early. They're going to accomplish this by sending in just more white hats, you know, more sheriff's deputies. Jamming the guns. Yeah, yeah they specifically jammed their right. guns. Right, mm-hmm. that part too. That was super amusing because they, <laughs> they had a newcomer with them and he was just you know, blowing people away and his and his rifle stops and he goes, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Awesome. So the information that that she gets is pretty great. So Hector apparently knows everything about these guys, the cleanup crew. So she asks, first off, what is this picture of? What is this deal? And he says that they're called shades and that they're sacred to their religion. They walk between hell and their world. Between the two worlds, right? Yes. And that they're actually from hell, which Mm -hmm. is so freaky, right? Yeah. You mentioned something called a dreamwalker. I think, is that another word for the Native Americans? I would say that's more like a medicine man type thing, you know, because he said a dreamwalker can actually see them. I think maybe he was referring to her as a dreamwalker because he said it's a blessing to see the masters who pull your strings. So there's like some people who can kind of have a little bit of a glimpse like side to side to their world, if you will. And if you can actually see how the world works, then that's 
you should consider that a blessing. Yeah, most other stories, those people go crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty hard to see your strings being pulled and not go crazy, right? Yes. So then the next question she wanted to know is, what do the shades do? He says that they come from hell to watch us. Oh, yeah, that is what he Freaky, says. Freaky, mm. Okay, so then now she has her third request, and I actually thought this was pretty funny. It was a little body, but it was funny <laughs> because she kind of like straddles the safe, and he's like, whoa, this is your third request? <laughs> like, I did not see that coming, Maeve. He was like, shoot, this is going to take a little bit more time she's like get over yourself please no she says you you would have no no control over the time (laughs) (laughs) exactly yes because he's like i think this is going to take more time than your constabulary is going to allow (laughs) hilarious mave isn't she saucy very smooth hector (laughs) (laughs) he seems like a hard guy right he seems like you know he's a tried and true bandito right so for him to get that surprised face like what like maybe you really got me there you surprised me so adam did you think that that she was going to ask him to knife her belly there i did i did you know it was because because of all the scenes you know prior where she was trying to look for it feel and saw the blood did all of that and then at, when she straddled and stuff, she basically goes right for the knife. I, I thought it was very interesting, you know, how they did it, obviously, the acting and whatnot. It was very suggestive. It was. So. It was. He won't do it, so she has to do it herself. But she warms the blade first with her cigar. I think it was theoretical sterilization, <laughs> but, but in practicality, not long enough, not hot enough. So right. Too ashy. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. You're just going to kind of shove the cigar ashes into your guts now. <laughs> they do find a slug in their inner pelvis area. Finally, she knows now she's not crazy. And now she's like, whatevs. Who even cares about getting caught or not getting caught? Who even cares that the sheriff's banging down the door? Let's just have makeout session here because none of it matters, buddy. Like, we're all going to get cleaned up by the cleanup crew here. And we'll be back here tomorrow puffing on the next cigar, right? <laughs> and that's, that is what happened. The, the sheriffs blow through the door and we can pretty much assume that they got hit. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. <laughs> <laughs> Gun down. Well, so what do you guys think about the overall idea? I, I know that the man in black mentions when they are going to the prison with Lawrence, he says, you know, the reason why you don't take responsibility for your choices, Lawrence, and you say it's all me, is because then you'd have to deal with the consequences of choices that you make. And then now you have Maeve saying, None of this matters. Like, it turns out none of our choices matter. We all end up at the same place at the end. So who cares? Let's just have sex and make out on the safe. And who cares if the sheriff comes in? So what do y'all think? Is this world, like, sort of discussing that with us as the viewers? Are we going to watch some of these people have choices and consequences? Or does none of it matter? Is that what they're telling us? It does seem like, when you put it like that, the kind of natural approaches that people go through when they try to take on spirituality type topics for their own selves. Is it fate or is God telling me what to do or does God even care? Or does praying work or any any of that kind of stuff can lead to any of those kinds of conclusions. It sounds like the same kind of thing, but we're seeing Maeve take it one direction and Dolores is taking it another direction. I read the Maeve thing differently. You know, her, her comment, I, I didn't take it as, you know, ah, fuck it kind of deal and obviously in that moment yes but i think it's i think it's an off oh, fuck it i'll get him on the next time around absolutely and you know she's she's got a plan she's gonna she's gonna work it she's gonna figure out whatever she wants to figure out 
Oh, she's sharp. She definitely is. No, she definitely is. And and determined, you know, the, to go through all those steps with Hector, to do all of that. I mean, she's determined to not just let something lie. She's learned the pattern, not completely, but... I mean, to know how the shootout works and mm-hmm. when Hector would, would have his back to her so that she could pull the gun on him. Mm-hmm. She's only been awake for a couple of days in Westworld, and she's already kind of gotten that idea that, that there are Like there's these, a loop and he's yeah. going to come back. And mm-hmm. Yes, right. All right. that stuff. What do you guys think's in the safe? I think it's one of those things where they never knew. Like it was, right. there was no it's, Wyatt until there was a Wyatt. It's Teddy's backstory. It's yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's in the safe. Exactly. <laughs> no, but but figure, you know, literally and figuratively there, he never got it open, you know, because the loop closed before then. It might be, eventually, some piece for the maze. Yeah. I wonder because Maeve makes some comment like, what it, what you're looking for is not in the, exactly. not in the safe and, mm-hmm. and make some sort of offhanded remark. So I we laughed last time that it was funny that we had focused so hard in the first couple episodes, not on sort of quote unquote bank robbers, but on these like milk bandits. And it was like making me laugh that like for whatever reason, they weren't really like these hardcore thieves. They were just looking for milk all the time, it seemed. I thought it was really interesting that, you know, and I don't know if this connection was really there, but... The, the milk bandits were the first ones to kind of go haywire or the first ones they were having issues with and, you know, babies and milk. And so, you know, you, you, these, these are the first infantile examples of these thinking kind of feeling, you know, hosts. We said comments like that, too, that we also thought maybe that milk represented something in this world, basically the idea of like nourishment, mm-hmm. but then also maybe how they show the the actual bodies coming up out of that milky substance. So uh-huh. it's actually seemed to be what they're made of mm-hmm. is whatever that it's almost like resin. Like what if it's not milk? What if it is some sort of like resiny something sure. that they craved for whatever reason? Mm-hmm. And definitely like a coming from the creator, mm-hmm. you know, mother's milk kind of feel as well. But so it's interesting that Hector now is a little bit stepped up. Like he's actually coming for the safe. Mm-hmm. So it is actually a little bit more, I almost want to say realistic, but it's just, you know, the milk. It's evolved. It is evolved. It's, it's the next thing for sure. All right. Well, let us know if you liked Adam or if we should tell him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Honest opinion, people. Come on. <laughs> Catch us at dailyreview.com, on Facebook, on Twitter. We want to make sure that you tune in for Gilmore Girls as we are going to do a Gilmore Girls Fest review. We just came back. It was amazing. We have tons of pictures online at Daily Review on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So make sure you check and see what that fan fest was all about. And we will definitely be doing podcasts for the four new episodes that are coming out November 25th. Yay! Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.